0: I, John, take you, Sarah, to be my lawfully wedded wife. To have and to hold in sickness and in health till, till death, death do, do us part. part. Whew. I can't believe we finally did it. We bought a house. <laughs> yes, it's all coming together. I can't wait to start a new life here. Uh, Sophie is awake. Can you go check on her, honey? I'm a little busy right now. I'll go next time. Hey, John, whose turn is it to do the dishes? Uh, I did it last night. It's your turn tonight. No. You went out last night, remember? <laughs> Look at this credit card. card. It's 85 play? on Amazon. When will, will it be your turn? Oh, don't even go there. You You're the one that started. I can't take this anymore. So let's talk about marriage. Uh, look familiar about that little scene that we just gave you. Before I get into the message, let me welcome everybody. I'm glad that you're here with us in the room. Thankful for those on the TV and on the stream as well. Thankful for those who are incarcerated who are watching us, all of our multi-sites, all the way out to the island of Ambergris Key in Belize. We want to welcome you as well. Now, let's all give everybody a round of applause. We're glad that you guys are a part of the Sagebrush family. So let's talk about marriage today. I've been married to my wife, Christy, for 29 years. Our 30th anniversary is going to be this September, and our marriage started out absolutely phenomenal. We went off on our honeymoon, and I, of course, took her to the Disney World. I loved the Disney World. Now, she had never been to the Disney World before, but I had been to the Disney World before, and so I knew how to attack The Disney World, you do realize there is a strategy that you must have and impose when you go to the Disney World so you can have optimal amount of rides and fun and entertainment all packed in one very expensive day. So I take my bride to the Disney World and we get there really early and we're having a blast and we're talking and having a great conversation. We're laughing. It gets to be about 11.30 in the morning, and she looks at me, and she says, Hey, I'm hungry. Let's get some lunch. And I said, No, that doesn't fit with the agenda for the day she says what do you mean I said well eleven thirty to 1 o'clock's when people get in line to get something to eat that's the worst time to get in line when everybody else is in line we're not going to eat till 2 o'clock that's because the lines are really low right now so we're just going to ride one ride after another after another and she said Okay, sounds good to me. So we kept riding rides. Two o'clock, we got something to eat. Now, at two o'clock, there's a parade that goes all the way through the dinner world, all the way down through Main Street. And my wife looked at me and she said, I love parades. I said, I do too, but that's not on the agenda For the day, you see, everybody lines up for the parade. This is an optimal time to ride as many rides as you possibly can. She said, okay. Well, a couple hours go by, she says, I'd like to have a snack. So I pulled out a Rice Krispie Treat out of my pocket, and I said, here you go. She said, what's that? I said, it's a Rice Krispie Treat. It's warm, and it's chewy. She says, can I have a Coke to drink it down? I said, do you know how expensive Cokes are here at the Disney World? And then I said something. She has brought it up a thousand times. I said, swallow your spit is what I said. I don't remember anything after that, to be honest with you. And the happiest place on earth turned out not to be so happy after all. Isn't that something how something can start out so good and then it can turn around to be something so bad? I remember a few years ago, my bride came to me. She said, let's go ride bikes. I said, I think that's wonderful. You know I love to ride bikes with you, but today is a windy day. And for those of you who are watching outside of Albuquerque, you don't understand wind until you understand Albuquerque wind. I said, I don't think it's a good idea. The wind will make it to where it's not a very pleasurable ride. She says, no, I really want to ride bikes. I said, All right, if that's what you want to do. So I went in the garage, I got the bikes down, I pumped up the tires. We got outside, it was windy. She said, You lead, I'll follow. I said, all right, sounds like a plan to me, so I take off down the street, and the wind is blowing right in our face. We're barely able to pedal, so I turn the corner, thinking it's going to be better, and the wind, for some reason, is still in my face, so I think, well, I'll just turn the corner again. I'll do a circle, and it doesn't make any sense to me to this day, but when I turn the circle, the wind was still in my face. And we're pumping with everything we've got, and now my wife is beside herself, she's had enough. She pumps her cute little legs as hard as she can. She gets up to my bicycle and she says, you're doing this on purpose. (laughs) And I said, what in the world are you talking about? She said, you're intentionally going down roads where the wind is in our face. And I said, I didn't even want to go on this bike ride. And then I think I said, I think I said, you're the dummy. I don't remember if I said that or not, because I don't remember anything after that as well, to be honest with you. (laughs) Something so good turned into something so bad so quickly. Don't you think maybe that's the way God felt in the beginning? You say, Todd, there is no way. We are talking about Adam and Eve for a six week in a row. Yes, we are. In the beginning, it was perfect. It was beautiful. God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. And He made all the creation. He said, This is good. And then God saw something that wasn't good. He saw that Adam was all alone. And so God put Adam into a deep sleep, took a rib from the side, formed a woman from the rib. And then when Adam saw her, he got poetic. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So the Bible says that God provided a woman to be a helpmate. Now, some of the ladies here in this room and some of you watching at another campus or at home, you don't appreciate that term helpmate. Because you have a different definition for what God intended than helpmate. You you read helpmate and you think, well, here we go again. Yeah, God made Eve so she could do, you know, clean the house. Uh, Just say it what it is, Todd. Helpmate means housekeeper. That's what it is. Someone to cook for him. Someone to listen to him farting belts. That's what it is. That's what you're talking about. A helpmate. And you're a little offended at this statement. Psalm chapter 46. You ready for this? God calls himself a helpmate. What does the term helpmate mean? It means God saw something that was lacking and brought someone else to fulfill what was missing. Now, that's not so bad. Think about your husband. He saw something that was lacking. That's not hard to imagine, now, is it? And he said, I'm going to bring her into his life to fill up all those gaps that are missing in his life. Just out of curiosity, men, uh, how many of you would say that your wife is a helpmate to you? Put your, put your hands up, men. What are you waiting for? <laughs> help me help you, okay? How many men would say your wife's a helpmate? Just put them up real high. I love all the women right now I'm going, to put your arm up right now. Hey, that's her role. She's a helpmate. How many of you ladies would say that your husband is a helpmate? Not as many hands went up, to be honest with you, on that one, was there? No. That that was God's intention, right? Where we love each other, we look out for each other, we pray for each other, we help each other. And and then the Bible says this. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and they will become one flesh. He's talking about a spiritual union between two people. So you you leave your parents, and you begin a brand-new home. You begin a brand-new family. You leave, and then you cleave. A, A lot of married couples, young married couples, they have a hard time with leaving mom and dad, and and making the priority of their relationship now their husband or their wife or protecting the the family that God has ordained for them to have. I I found this interesting. This week I was reading this. A, A Nigerian tribe, true story, you can look it up. Nigerian tribe has a strange way of leaving and cleaving on the wedding day. Here's what they do. They take the groom. They put him in a hut. And the elders of the tribe stand outside the hut, and they shout out that the groom can come out of the hut and go and receive his bride. Now, here's the problem for the groom. They have placed another person in the hut. They have to get by the person in the hut to get out the door to get to their bride. And the person that they've put in the hut is his mom. Yeah, You heard that right. It's his mom. Can you picture the scene in your mind? The young man has to beat down his mom to get out the door to get his bride. Now I want you to know I don't go to very many weddings anymore, but if you do this, I will come to your wedding (laughs) and partay with you. That's a perfect way that God intended, not to beat your mom down, but you're leaving. You're physically leaving your mom. What you're saying is, is this relationship now takes priority over my past relationship. This relationship that I have with my husband, this relationship that I have with my wife, takes priority over the relationship that I had with my mom and with my dad. When push comes to shove, you side with your spouse, and not with mom, and not with dad, because you leave, and you cleave, and you start a new family. So so what do we have? We have each of them helping each other. We have them leaving and cleaving to each other. And then the third ingredient of a great marriage is constant nudity. Verse 25. (laughs) What? You've got your child in here. That's your own problem. That's all I got to say about that. (laughs) Verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Constant nudity. It's right there. (laughs) Now, now why, why does the Bible put this in there? That's not necessary, is it? Well, it's more than just physical nudity. It's relational nudity. It's spiritual nudity towards the other person. It means complete vulnerability. Complete transparency. Complete openness to the other person. So that was God's design for marriage. Two people looking out for each other, caring for each other, beginning a brand new home, brand new family where that family was the priority of their life with God at the very center of it. And there was constant nudity, constant vulnerability. They were having the time of their life. Well, you already know what went wrong. God put that tree in the middle of the garden. It was a choice for them. Were they going to choose God or are they going to choose, choose something else? And, and they chose to disobey God and all hell broke loose. Sin, suffering, sickness, pain all came to be a part of our world. We don't need to be reminded of that. Just look at the news on any given day. You'll see people doing terrible, terrible things to each other. This was not the way that it was supposed to be. And guess what? Marriages were broken too. Now there's insecurity, now there's trust issues. The vulnerability, the transparency, the oneness, the looking out for the needs of the other person. It's just not the way that it once was. And so what happens is is we get married. And can you imagine? This is kind of funny to me. Because God puts together two sinful, selfish, stubborn people and says, figure it out. In the midst of the sin nature that you have, in the midst of your stubbornness, in the midst of your selfishness, God puts you two together. Do you not think there's going to be conflict? Do you not think that there's not going to be times when you don't see eye to eye? Do you not think that sometimes stubbornness is going to win the day? Friends, listen to me. You're going to fight in your marriage. And when you begin to fight in your marriage, it doesn't mean you married the wrong person. No matter who we put in your married relationship, you're going to fight with them. Do you know why? Because neither one of you are perfect in that marriage. My marriage has fights all the time. It's because of Christy. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It really is. (laughs) You're going to fight. You're going to have disagreements. Here's my question Do you have to hurt each other? Do you have to damage the person you say you love the most on the face of this earth? Do you have to wound them with your words? We have to give up some cheap shots. That are not benefiting our relationships, that are not benefiting our marriages. Give yourself a point if you've done any of these things. Have you ever yelled, screamed, or cursed at them? Give yourself a point. If you've done all three, give yourself three points. Have you ever threatened to withhold sex? I know of married couples where they haven't had sex in months, and that's wrong, and you're sending a a starving person into a world that's a buffet, and then you're shocked when there's an affair because you won't be intimate with them any longer. That's messed up. That's messed up. How do do you think that's going to benefit your marriage? How do you think that's going to benefit your relationship? Let me give you another one. Have you ever threatened divorce? I was doing a wedding years ago, and uh, this person had been to my weddings before, and when I do a wedding, I I talk a lot about don't ever utter the word divorce. Don't ever say it. Don't let it come out of your mouth. If it never comes out of your mouth, then it's never an option. You work it out. You work it out. And he pulled me aside right before we walked on the platform. He said, could you leave that stuff out? And I said, why do you want me to leave that stuff out? He said, well, it might might offend some people here. I said, I don't think they're worried about somebody else. Do you have any intention of not living through this relationship no matter what till death do you part? Oh, no, 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 I'm in it for the long haul. He was divorced in three years. He had no intention. When, When you throw that out flippantly, I'm leaving, I'm out of here, I want a divorce. Do you realize the damage you're doing to your relationship? Don't ever utter that word. Don't let that ever be an option. That's a cheap shot. How about this one? You ever slept in in another room because it didn't work out? How about this one? Have you ever pulled back your toes in bed because you accidentally, after a fight, touched their foot? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. You're laying there, and you're over on this side, and you're you're hugging the pillow on the edge. and They're over there doing the same thing. Then all of a sudden, something happens where your toe accidentally hits their toe, and you're like... You're not getting towed tonight. (laughs) Right? Sinner, sinner, chicken dinner. You ever played the silent treatment and just distanced yourself from your spouse? Some of you have done that for days, weeks, some months. You ever held a grudge? You holding one today? We fight over the dumbest things. I bet you had a fight a couple of weeks ago. What do you bet? And you probably did some of these things we just talked about because you got a lot of points when we went through that. (laughs) And here you sit, and I say, what did you fight about two weeks ago? And you can't remember. It's so interesting to me that in the moment, When the blood starts rushing to your face and you really get mad, you really get frustrated with the other person, it's such an insignificant thing that you don't even remember what it was two weeks later. That's ridiculous, isn't it? How about instead of lashing out at the person, what if we got on our face before God and we asked him for wisdom before we said a single word? What if we just called a timeout, you stilled away a few moments, they stilled away a few moments. I mean, we're supposed to be people who have Jesus at the centerpiece of our relationship. It's always amazing to me the number of marriages that don't even invoke his name. They don't even call on him. They don't even ask him to help them, to calm them down so they can attack the problem rather than attacking the person. You know what I found to be true in our married relationship when, when Christy gets mad or I get mad at her? That if we'll just get away just for a few moments and we'll just pray about it? that many times we'll laugh and go, well, that's not worth getting mad about. That's not worth losing our afternoon closeness with each other. There's so many things that we get in fights about that are just so stupid, aren't there? For years, I used to get so mad at Christy because she left shoes all over the house. I mean, how hard is it? Just pick up your shoes, put them in the closet. We have a walk-in closet. Just throw them in there, I don't care. But she puts them out like it's a minefield. And she doesn't put them like over to a corner or over to the side of the wall. No, they're in the middle of the room. I can't tell you the number of times I've fallen over those shoes. And so I would sit down. And I would talk to her. I said, could you pick up your shoes? Could you pick up your shoes? Could you pick up your shoes? Yeah, I'll pick up my shoes. She didn't pick them up. Over and over and over again. It infuriated me. And one day I tripped over some of her shoes. So I thought, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to go to God. So I went to God. I went in the bedroom. I I still remember. I said, God, we got a problem with Christy again. (laughs) That's how a lot of my prayers start out. I'm sure hers do as well. We got a problem, God, with her. You understand what I'm saying? God said, yes, we do. He said, you need to get yourself a new wife. That's what he said to me. He did not say that. I said, you see all the shoes? You know how many times I've asked her about the stupid shoes? This is ridiculous. Now, never forget it. Never heard God speak, but you know you hear Him when you don't hear Him. You know what I'm talking about? He said, How long does it take you to pick up a pair of shoes? I said, 10 seconds. He said, So what you're telling me is you can't spend 10 seconds to serve your wife. I said, But Lord, there's six pairs. <laughs> Do you see how messed up I am? Do you not love your wife or your husband enough to serve them for 10 seconds? That the things that you're probably irritated about or the things that you're frustrated with with the other person, if you just serve them, you wouldn't be frustrated anymore. You see a need, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to meet the need. You're not supposed to point out and say, aren't you supposed to be doing this? No, you serve them. You put them ahead of yourself. That's what we're supposed to be doing. When it comes to fighting, you should always ask yourself this question. Is this a cold or is this a cancer? Isn't that good? Write that down. That's good. Is it a cold or is it a cancer? If it's a cold, it's not that big of a deal. It, it'll go away. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. It's not something to, you'll get all upset about. But if it's cancer, if it's a big issue, yeah, you need to take that very, very seriously. And you need to write down those big issues on a piece of paper and say, we need to sit down when we've calm and cooled ourselves off, and I want to address this issue. And then both of you own your stuff on how you've contributed to the issue because it's never one person's 100% wrong and the other person's 100% right. Just both of you own your stuff and then start having conversation about it. Now, there are eight thou shalt nots that you must Adhere to these are in your notes as well on the sagebrush app number one is this thou shalt not raise your voice You're not allowed to intimidate to yell at the other person. You cannot use absolutes thou shalt not use absolutes don't say things like you always you never every single time none of that's true No one always or never or every single time's everything. And then you'll fight about the frequency, and that's just a foolish thing to do. Let me give you the next one. Thou shalt not bring up the past. Don't get historical while you're hysterical, okay? (laughs) Thou shalt not name call. Moving on. (laughs) Thou shalt not compare. I wish you were like her. Do you think he would say that to his wife? Thou shalt not threaten. Don't threaten with sex. Don't threaten with money. And again, don't threaten divorce. Thou shalt not interrupt. Most of the time, when it comes to a hard conversation, you know what the other person wants? They just want to be heard. And you want to fire up the conversation and make it worse and grow the intensity just keep cutting them off. Just keep cutting them off over and over and over again. And you will have one frustrated spouse because you're not listening to them. You're not fighting for the relationship at that point. You're fighting against it. You're not fighting for reconciliation. You're fighting to be distant from each other. If you won't listen to the other person, how do you feel like you're ever going to come together and agree on anything? And then the last one is this. You shall not give up. We don't quit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Here's what happens to a lot of married couples. They get into a fight, and then they they don't deal with it, and then they just start living with the resentment, and they start living with the bitterness, and then they never deal with the issue, and they learn to live with the elephant in the room, and they find themselves getting farther and farther apart. Guess what? Satan's got a foothold in your marriage. That's not the way it was supposed to be. There's supposed to be vulnerability, there's supposed to be trustworthiness. There, there was supposed to be the two of you being one, where you were transparent with the other person in the good and the bad and even the ugly. How many married relationships are there that just won't deal with the issues in their relationship? And Satan's got a foothold because it's not drawing the two of you closer by ignoring the issue. It's just pulling you farther and farther away. And then when you deal with that issue and you talk through it and you both resolve on what you're going to do to fix the issue, you forgive. You forgive the other person. If you want to have a great marriage, you got to forgive and you got to forgive fast. you got to quit walking around going, oh, this is going to take me some time. Now, I get some wounds that come your way will take a bit of time, but for the most part, get over it and forgive in the same way that you've been forgiven. I was reading a book by Bob Russell. He said this about forgiveness. He says, God's forgiveness, first off, is selfless. The most selfless act that's ever been given to mankind is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. What was the first words he said from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they have no idea what they're doing. His first thought. His first words was forgiveness. Let me give you the next one. God's forgiveness is unlimited. He just keeps on forgiving. Think about the things in the hero of our faith that they blew and they messed up and God forgave them for what they had done. Moses was a murderer. And years later, God still used him. David was an accessory to murder and he was an adulterer and God still forgave him. Gideon was a coward. Samson was a womanizer, going from one bed to another. Peter denied knowing Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. And the great apostle Paul, greatest missionary, walked the face of the earth. Well, before his name was changed to Paul, he was Saul. And what he spent his time doing, going from town to town, resting men, women, and children, throwing them in jail, having them killed, even there to give approval to the first Christian martyr, Stephen's death. Paul's the one who writes, I am the worst of all sinners. But then he talks about the amazing grace and forgiveness of God. How about this one? God's forgiveness is repeated. God doesn't forgive once or twice and say, forget about it, I'm not going to forgive you anymore. How many marriages you know like that? I can't do this anymore. I'm, qu- I'm throwing it in the towel. I can't forgive you again and again and again. Well, God says, yes, you can. How many times does the Lord say to we are to forgive? Up to three times? No. He says 70 times seven. And you don't whip your calculator out and figure out that's 490. He's talking about innumerable amounts of times. You just Wouldn't you like another chance? Because I promise you this, you're going to blow it again. You're going to say something. You're going to do something. You're going to forget something. You're going to wound someone along the way. And I'm pretty certain you've hurt that person before. Would you like them to look you in the eye and say, yeah, that's about it. I'm good. I'm never going to forgive you ever again. You see how that make you feel? Don't do that to somebody else. How about this one? God's forgiveness is unfair. There's nothing fair about the cross. Jesus is the innocent one. He who knew no sin became sin, so we might be the righteousness of God. We might be made right with God. It's completely unfair. When you forgive someone, let me tell you something, friends. Listen to me. The innocent always suffers. The guilty goes free and the innocent suffers when it comes to forgiveness. And that's what makes us so angry. That's what fires us up so much. That's why we have such a hard time forgiving other people. Because we just don't like that idea that that person gets off scot-free. Well, let me explain to you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean that you endorse their behavior. You're not saying that what they did was okay. You're releasing your right to attack them back. Let me give you another one. You're not saying that the person is exempt from God's judgment. Sometimes we have a hard time forgiving other people because we're like, this isn't right that they just get off scot-free. Someone needs to do something about this. God says he'll take care of it. God says, I saw what they did. I saw what they said. It's mine to avenge, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do you think you know better than God? Do you think you can handle it better than he can handle it? No, your job is to release it at the foot of the cross, and let him deal with the issue. It's his to avenge. Let me give you the third thing. Forgiveness does not mean an immediate restoration of trust. Forgiveness can happen quickly, but trust takes time. And I've I've heard that many times. There, There was a man, he committed adultery on his wife. And he came to his senses. He broke the relationship up. He came back to his wife. He begged her for forgiveness. And she forgave him, but she didn't trust him. And this is what he said to her. He said, I will live my life in such a way that I will earn back your trust. And so that's what he did. Day after day, week after week, month after month. He would tell her every place he was going to go, who he was going to be with, give him all the phone numbers of the different people. You can call on me, check on me anytime, night or day. When I say I'm going to be somewhere with someone, that's where I'm going to be with that person. You can check up on me again and again and again. And over the course of several months, he didn't have to do it anymore because she trusted him again. So forgiveness is immediate, but sometimes trust takes time. Understand that there's a cost if you don't forgive. It's a cost to your relationship, and there's a cost to you. The guilty one, they just go off on their own. They just continue on with their life. They're not thinking about it anymore. But you're the one that's continuing to replay it in your mind again and again. And so what do you think is going to happen to your soul? What's the Bible says? It says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Why does it say that? Because the soul, the heart is the wellspring of your life. How's your heart? And some of us, we're we're allowing Satan to get a foothold in our heart. We've got bitterness and we've got resentment. We've got hatred towards somebody else. And you're putting yourself in a prison cell. You're locking the door. You're throwing away the key. And you're doing it to yourself. My wife has beat this in my head these past 30 years over and over again. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to yourself so you can be free, so you can move forward in faith and be the person that God desires you to be. He didn't want you to live with all that hurt. He didn't want you to live with all that pain. He didn't want you to live with all that anger. He wants you to release it and let him take care of it. I read a story this past week, a woman named Donna Stewart. She had the devastating effects of revenge and anger when her husband did awful things to her. She wrote in to Dear Abby. This was the Title of the letter it was called forgiveness not revenge is sweet This is what she writes dear Abby. I Want to tell you what I've been able to forgive in my life in hopes that it'll help people Harboring petty grudges to forgive and get on with their lives Lee and I have been married for 10 years last year He became burned out at his job also suffered a severe back injury I was expecting our fourth baby and we had another family sharing our home All this created a very explosive atmosphere, and Lee flipped out. Our baby was born and developed mononucleosis at three weeks. Lee announced that he didn't love me anymore, and he left me. The other family moved out, and suddenly I was alone. I couldn't eat or sleep. I lost 47 pounds, got hooked on tranquilizers, had a nervous breakdown. Lee came back and put me in a mental hospital, then proceeded to have an affair with my best friend of 10 years. The affair lasted four months. We lost our home, so my children and I had to move in my parents' attic with no heat during a Pennsylvania winter. Suddenly, Lee came to his senses, and he broke up with his girlfriend. Her husband forgave her. She went back to him and their three children. And then guess what? I forgave Lee. I took him back. I got counseling, went to church, kept reading my Bible. I'm off pills. I'm eating normally, and our family is intact. We got our house back. Lee is totally repentant, and we've restructured our lives to avoid anything that could be destructive to our family. Two weeks ago, I went to my girlfriend and told her I forgave her too. We cried together and talked for six hours. Forgiveness, she writes, when it's least deserved, has true healing power. In forgiving her, I released her of all her guilt... And now God's able to work in my life. I feel a little insecure at times, but I'm much better today than I was six months ago. Because a life filled with thoughts of revenge and bitterness is no life at all. Abby, if you think this letter will help others to forgive, you have my permission to print it with my name. Donna Stewart, Hilltown, Pennsylvania. As difficult as it was for her to forgive She writes, a life filled with thoughts of revenge and bitterness is no life at all. Your spouse would like me to remind you that they need forgiveness. And that they need the kind of forgiveness that Jesus has given you. A forgiveness that's relentless. A forgiveness that knows no ends. A forgiveness and a love that is greater than our sin, greater than our shortcomings, greater than our greatest regrets. You want to have a great marriage? Love each other as Christ loved the church and forgive in the same way that you've been forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father. There's a lot of couples that have been hurt in a lot of different ways by the people that they thought loved them the most. And they're holding on to that hurt. They're rehearsing that hurt. They're playing that over and over and over and over and over again. And it's wrecking their soul, and it's wrecking their marriage. No matter how many times their spouse has come to apologize and ask for forgiveness, they just won't release them. So they place themselves in a prison of bitterness. Lord, I pray that we would come to our senses, that we would think about your great love and your great forgiveness. Oh, how you have forgiven us for so many things. And all we got to do is ask you to forgive us again, and you'll do it. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Help us, Lord, to be like that, to be like you, to let go, to leave it at the foot of the cross. Help us, Lord, to forge the marriage that we so desperately believed we would have when we said, I do.